Welcome to the Gentle Counselor podcast, episode number 29. My name is Crystal, and I'm the creator of the Gentle Counselor, where I provide online resources to support the mental health and well being of parents and children. Today on the podcast, we have a very special guest. Dr. Roseanne is going to talk to us about the signs and symptoms of anxiety in children. Welcome to the Gentle Counselor podcast, Dr. Roseanne. Well, thanks for having me, Crystal. I always love to talk about children's mental health. I can see that you have such a wealth of knowledge and experience in what you do with your work and in your business right now. So can you please tell everyone listening a bit about yourself and what you do. Yeah. So um, I am a therapist and a psychologist, and I have been working with children and families for actually almost 30 years. And I really am on a mission to change the way we view and treat children's mental health, you know, being that I have been working with kids and help literally thousands of families reduce and reverse mental health symptoms uh, using only holistic and methodologies, which are totally evidence-based like neurofeedback and biofeedback and psychotherapy and nutrition. So in these 30 years, I've watched children really struggle. And today, you know, with the pandemic and all that children are experiencing, you know, kids and their families are very stressed and very overwhelmed. And it's part of why I do so many podcasts and so much media, because I want parents to know it's going to be okay. And that there are lots of resources and things that they can do. I definitely agree because when I work as a school counselor, pretty much every student I see is mostly because of them struggling with anxiety. And this can be for a range of reasons, whether it's because of a family breakdown or the academic pressures at school or friendship issues or just the general challenges that children experience. I find that it's worsened because adults their parents or caregivers seem to forget what it's like being a kid sometimes. And often children are being dismissed because what is so important and earth shattering to them is obviously not the same for us as adults. And so a lot of my work is also reminding people that this is important and significant to them right now. And so we have to meet them where they're at. Yeah. I mean, I always talk about, we got to meet kids where they are at, you know, and today kids, wherever they are in the world, it doesn't matter what country they're in. They, there's a lot of pressure on them. There's a lot of pressure on them to be, you know, straight A students, perfect students. And I know I wasn't, and we didn't have that expectation and we've really sort of adultified children and, and forgotten what, you know, developmentally is normal for kids, you know, and that you're allowed to make mistakes because that's actually how you learn. And we spend so much time trying to make sure our kids don't experience uncomfortableness that they then don't know how to manage stress because we're constantly teaching them to avoid it instead of cope with it. Yes. And that definitely comes down to the parents being so uncomfortable with those emotions, because I'm sure for a lot of us growing up, 
our households weren't exactly accepting of all those emotions or we had them labeled as good or bad. And so things like anger or sadness or guilt or shame were so uncomfortable that we didn't even know how to feel them as children or they were suppressed or we were made to feel bad. Like there was something wrong for feeling those kinds of feelings. And so I think now parents are starting to realize how important it is to meet their child's emotional needs as well. But I do feel there is also still some difficulty in understanding how to do that because we do still see parents trying to fix the problems for the children rather than letting them have a go at fixing it it themselves or experiencing resilience and developing that as a skill. That's really important as well. Yeah. Well, and you know, when we talk about, you know, as you talked about emotions and I love to talk about resilience and I definitely want to get back to that, but you know, emotions, you know, it starts with kids being able to label their emotions, right. And, and having words that they can connect to and connect to what their body is telling them. Right. So kids show their stress and worry in a different way than most adults do, even though adults show it in the same way, but kids really only show it through their behaviors because behaviors is the language of children because <laughs> they're not really, you know, especially very young children. You know, we, we knew when our kids were really little when they were hungry or didn't sleep enough or because guess what their behavior showed it and it's the same as they get older if they're experiencing uncomfortableness you know what happens i know my i use the example of my i have a 10 year old and we went back to school this past fall um, after being in quarantine here in the States and, you know, he's a therapist kid. So, you know, he's got lots of emotional words and, um, I, he must've said, mom, you know, I'm feeling nervous about going and feeling anxious about going back to school today. And I said, Oh, you, you are, huh? And I said, where, where does it show up in your body? And he's like, I just kind of feel it all over. And, um, I was like, all right, well, what do you think we should do about it? You know? And he's so equipped at it. You know, he was like, let's take some deep breaths. And I was like, all right. And then what I asked him was, you know, what do you, what are you afraid of? And he said, I'm afraid that it's all these new kids. Cause there was new kids in his very tiny school. And, um, you know, they're not going to know what to do when they're there. And I was like, what does that mean? And, you know, he was able to explain to me, you know, his school has a, it's a very unique school and they have their own set of rules. Um, It's a democratic process school. So kids vote on things. It's really cool. And uh, so anyway, we were able to work through his worries. He had the words for it. He, I, you know, I also explained to him, they're going to be just as nervous as you are. He was like, oh yeah, you know, and we prepped and, and off he went and, you know, then I processed it later in the, in the day. And, you know, I created a routine. This wasn't anything new, right? This wasn't something that was the first time he'd experienced this, which is also important. And, and these things take time to build so that you can have these sort of easy conversations when it's big things, right? Um, And there's no perfect way. Your kid can be 17 and you can start this too. Um, But we can't dismiss emotions and they are very, they're going to come up if you try to dismiss them. Um, So why not 
teach kids about them and help them to connect to whatever sensations their body's experiencing because that's the first place it's going to show up. And it shows up with us too, right? When we feel stressed, we're like, ooh, I feel a little chest tightening. Like, what's going on? Um, so I think that's a great thing for parents to do. And I know, Crystal, you have a lot of young parents that listen and you just let it happen organically when the conversation comes up, you know, you, um, you know, or the behaviors appear and says, you know, seems like you're kind of tired. And, and your kid will say yes. And, you know, can say, oh, I see, you know, see you're crying because you're tired, you're feeling, you know, overwhelmed. Yeah. Okay. And, <clears throat> and then it might open up for the next time. And it just helps that learn, you know, it's all about teaching, right? And teaching as a parent, it doesn't matter if your kid's 32, you still have an opportunity to teach. Right. And I love that you talk about how emotions are felt in our body, because I think a lot of people just think it's like a head and heart sort of thing. But, you know, when we're sad, we cry yes. and we're angry. We want to stomp our feet or punch something. And when you're feeling anxious, you might get butterflies or some people actually physically throw up because they're so anxious about it. And not only is it important for us to recognize that in our children and be attuned in that way, but like you said, it's so important to have our children start understanding their body and listening to their body so that they're able to have that autonomy as well. And then as they get older and they can put the words to it, the vocabulary to it, you know, as they go through toddlerhood and early childhood and, and can actually communicate with words, then we've already equipped them earlier mm -hmm. on to be able to communicate to that. So even for oh, myself, my daughter is four years old and she started doing swimming lessons. and it was really challenging for her because she was quite anxious about it. She thought that um, she was going to be dropped into the water simply because there was one time when she was younger that she went under the water accidentally. And so even for me to realize in that moment, wow, you remember that. And that was a long time ago. And for her age being so young already, and, you know, we got a book, it was one of those feelings books. Uh, I think it's called when I'm feeling nervous and in that book, it actually specifically talked about swimming lessons. So it was perfect for us. And we read through it. And then on our way to swimming the next time, then she said, mommy, I'm feeling nervous. And then we were able to talk about that because she let me know what was going on with her. And I could have completely missed that if she didn't know how to express that to me. And so then once we talked it through, I don't know who she was in that swimming lesson. She was a completely different kid, totally brave, totally rocking it, going under the water, not a care in the world. And I was like, wow, that actually worked. <laughs> and I don't know why I was surprised. Of course, I, I, know. I know that Isn't it works. That amazing? <laughs> but it's still so great to see it. And you're like, ah, oh, yes, this is it. Like the simplicity of helping your children to name their emotions and learn what that feels like. Yeah. And, you know, and really, you know, I'm very much about what they call, you know, somatic um, in teaching kids to tie to their body because I work with so many adults who are so disconnected from our body. One of the first things we want to do when we're experiencing stress or distress, right, um, is we want to disconnect, right? And that actually is the worst thing you can do. You want to actually get uncomfortable for a minute and feel it so that one, you know what it is the next time you're experiencing it. 
and but more importantly you develop coping mechanisms and those signals are there to alert us to take care of ourselves because when we try to shove things down they will creep up and you know and for some of us right i have one kid that's really easy of another kid who's way more impulsive and requires a lot more work to learn right and so you know teaching kids to label their emotions it's a, it's a, it doesn't matter where your kid falls in terms of learning. It's a repeated process because emotions are internal, right? And we want kids to be self-regulated so that they can have resiliency. And, you know, what is resiliency? It's about how you manage stress. And it, it's more than that. It's actually how you view, manage, and recover from stress. And with young kids, you know, as soon as you say that, you're like, oh, yeah, I know my kid. He doesn't recover well from stress. Um, and then I, you might have another kid who just doesn't view stress in the same way, which, you know, I have two kids very much like that. I have one kid who just doesn't view stress at all in the same way as his brother. And his idea is like me, you know, he's very much like me and his dad. We're just like, whatever. And, you know, we were chatting, Crystal, before, you know, during this pandemic and how people have managed stress during this time, right? Um, <clears throat> and I use this as an opportunity to do like a lot of really cool things and get real creative. Um, and some people did. And other people, this was a really hard time. And then there's lots of people in between, right? Um, your resiliency and how you cope with hard times, you know, you, it starts with when you're a kid. You know, you can learn when you're an adult, but you're going to have to break habits before you learn, right? So one of the greatest parenting gifts we can give our kids is teaching them how to cope with stress, not shove it down, but really learn how to manage it. Right. And that's the key thing as well that you said is that what we need to remember is that these children are going to grow up into adults and we want them to be fully functioning adults that are able to regulate their emotions, that know how to be resilient and how to cope through stress during difficult times. So on that note, can you tell us a bit about the difference between stress and anxiety? Yeah. So, you know, we all have stress. <laughs> and we all have things that are stressors and our body um, knows no difference between good and bad stress. But, you know, when we think of a stressor, we think of something that's an irritation, right? And so when our nervous system, so we have something called an autonomic nervous system and it helps us to regulate in times of, of stress or uncomfortableness or pain. And at the bottom is our very, very chilled out regulated state. It's our parasympathetic nervous system. And at the top is our sympathetic nervous system. And at, in our sympathetic state, we are activated. We're preparing for war. All of our resources in our body, um, our neurotransmitters, our hormones, our immune systems activates trying to find a stressor. So most of the time, we should be in this chill out parasympathetic state kind of hanging out down there. And then a stressor happens and you, you activate and then it goes away and you regulate right and and what does that mean like for a kid it could mean that you know um that the last cookie was gone or you said no to them or you know just a variety you know they got into a fight with some you know a disagreement with some friends at school or they were they were excluded or whatever it is what 
happens is for a stress, a stressor, and when somebody's stressed, you know, we can have these periods where there's some irritations and then you, you deal with it, you address it, and you move on. But with anxiety, anxiety is when there's persistent stressors that occur. And they, again, they can be real. They can be imagined. And I think that's sometimes really hard for a parent to understand when you have a really good life, you, you're, you're a rock star parent, um, you, you, know, you know that you've given your kids a lot of things, and then you ha still have a kid that's stressed out, right? And you say, why is that? Sometimes it's genetics, but more often it's people that have a nervous system that sort of becomes stress activated, that goes into that sympathetic state because they are a kid that views stressors or experiences stressors at a higher rate. So they might have some type of breakdown in how they view, manage, or recover from stress. And that nervous system literally just gets hyperactivated. Um, and over time, you're just really anxious. And I think all of us adults can think of times in our lives where you're like, oh yeah, you know, I've been there. Like, you know, whether you had a major life event, right? Like what they say, one of the most stressful um, times in anybody's life is a wedding, right? So it's like this incredibly happy, happy time, but it's very, very stressful. Um, and sometimes people can have bona fide anxiety, right, Crystal? You know, after a period mm. of something, you know, an extended period of stressors. And it's the same thing with kids. It's just those stressors today, kids, kids have different stressors. Kids around your kids are really stressed out, right, Crystal? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that, yes. And, and those kind of things really kind of impact the kids around them, right? If they're sitting next to a kid who's like freaking out all day, you know, um, there was a new kid in my, uh, my younger kids class. And, you know, he's like, mom, he just does not listen. Like, he's like, it's like, he just doesn't care, you know? So I was like, what are you, what are you going to do? You know? And, and we're not like, please, I don't live in a house of perfectness, but when my easy kid starts complaining, I'm like, oh, it must be pretty bad. Right. <laughs> so, so I, <laughs> right. So she, so I was like, and you know, she's complaining about, you know, he's complaining about whatever. And she's like, we already moved him. And I was like, okay, this is great. So it's not like I don't want him to hang out with him, but he just couldn't believe, he was like incredulous that there's a kid that's going to give this, you know, teacher grief. Like my kid's just that kind of kid, you know, he's like, I talk to him. I try to give him some tips, you know, he's like really loving and proactive. Right. But, and that's you know, the kid's first experience as well. Like that's the kid's first yeah. experience in realizing yeah. that other people aren't like them and that they deal with things differently. And sometimes it can be really shocking and they go, wow, what's going on with this person? And then they're either going to sit back and kind of observe and be like, well, what is going on here and have questions? Or like you said, they're going to pick up on yeah. that and then feel really anxious and stressed in themselves either because they think, oh, that person's stressing about this. I need to stress about it as well. Or just the fact that this person is looking and acting stressed makes them feel stressed. And of course that can even be linked into whatever they experience at home. That can be triggering for them as well. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, in the case of my John Carlo, you know, he, him moving was, was fine. Like it just, the, the complaining stopped. He felt obligated to help him 
when he was next to him. And he oh, didn't that's really, really sweet, actually. Move. And then, <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a sweet guy. He's a sweet guy. Because he's just like, you know, and, and again, it's not like he doesn't play with him or any of that kind of stuff. Because I'm like, look, sometimes people are impulsive. You know, your brother's impulsive. He's like, I know, you know, and I'm like, you just got to be forgiving, you know? So he, he's okay with that. But when it came to his learning, he was like, oh, I, I can't have this kid up in my mm. learning, you know, like I just can't. So you have to honor that too, you know, like, and I love that, that he's an advocate because he's a really easy kid. So when he says something, you know, there's real meaning behind it. Like you've got to, you've got to listen. Not that we don't listen to our kids that complain about everything, but if you have a kid that's easily stressed all the time and they're, they can be quite a tyrant and mm. sort of demand things, right? You know, like, and you know, when we think about what are some signs of stress in kids, the younger you see a kid or, or the younger a child is, you're going to see way more behavioral signs. You're going to see, you know, meltdowns. You're going to see, um, difficulty following directions. You might see unfocused behaviors. Um, you might see real anger, you know, you also might see fearfulness and difficulty separating. And a lot of times across every age, you can see things like stomach aches, vomiting, like you said. I mean, I, I get people, I just got somebody vomiting this week. I mean, it just happens all the time for people that are anxious. Um, you know, headaches, all those kinds of things. And when I say sleep, it could be getting to sleep, sleep, staying asleep or waking up. Um, and then, you know, as kids get older and they have more words, you know, they're not going to say to you, like my kid did, <laughs> I'm feeling anxious. I mean, that's 10 years of work with the therapist as his mom, you know, and he's just that kind of kid. Like he should be a therapist. He says, no, he says he's going to be a scientist in that. I said, well, you know, therapy science too. He said, it's not real therapy. It's not real science. He says, I'm like, okay. Um, he's a, he's a lot of fun that one. And, um, but you know, you, you have to really, you know, think about, you know, what are, what are they saying to you? How are they saying, are they, are they having these breakdowns? Are they withdrawing? You know, um, anxiety can look, you know, one spectrum, it's the quiet shutdown. And on the other spectrum, spectrum, it's anger. Mm. And in between, there's always some difficulties focusing and communicating. Um, and, it, and it can just look so different. I mean, people come to me every day, Crystal, and they're like, my kid's got ADD. And then, you know, I do something called the QEG brain map. So we can brain map somebody and I don't have to guess. I don't have to say it's ADD. And honestly, half the time it's anxiety. And, mm. you know, kids get very worried, looping thoughts, um, and just like you gave the example of your daughter, you know, swimming, she had something in her, her mind that was preventing her in that experience, right? You know, some kids might not even have allowed you to go swimming mm. and, or, and then it could have been something else. It could have been like this whole, you know, discord around, you know, are we going swimming? Are we not going swimming? So, you know, anxiety is often, you know, for kids, it's, it's a fear of the unknown. And, you know, it switches from being stressed about something 
to that anxiety when it's persistent, when it's going on. You know, I think the clinical, they say six months because they want to medicate you, but that's a whole other story. But, um, you know, I, I say, you know, if kids are showing signs for more than a few weeks of a pattern of worry um, or physical symptoms that you suspect is related to, you know, high stress, there's something going on. Right. And I think that what a lot of people don't realize with anxiety is anxiety is worrying about things that are either not happening yet or they're in the future and they're going to happen. And so it's not necessarily something that's in the past or happening in the moment, but of course those things can influence it. It's that they are thinking of something that is going to happen and they either have this story or this narrative in their mind of which way it's going to go. And they can't see any other way that that's going to happen. And that's what I think a lot of people don't realize because they just tell kids to either get over it or not to worry about it, or you'll be fine. You know, (laughs) like all these really dismissing statements and that doesn't help them at all. So do you have any tips or advice for parents listening about how can they actually help stressed or anxious children? Yeah. And, and, you know, thank you for bringing that up because, you know, anticipatory anxiety is a very real type of anxiety for children where they worry about things before it's going to happen. And it doesn't have to be an unpleasant event. It can be a very pleasant event. Like I can't even tell you how many times parents come into me and would say that my child would worry before every time they went to their own birthday party or anybody else's birthday party. And, you know, you think if you have a kid who's like, we're going to a birthday party, yay. And then you have a kid who's a warrior. You're like, why? You don't say, well, it's a birthday party. You're supposed to have fun. Your brother has fun. You know, we never, we never start with that. We never tell kids what they're supposed to. I think the best advice is to, to say, what is your worry? You know, and sometimes kids have the words. If you've been practicing the words about feelings, they might be able to answer it. Um, and that's the first, you know, point is to kind of get an assessment, try to figure it out, get a sense of what it is. And sometimes you might know and you can, you can cue them, but not ask yes or no questions. So never ask your kids yes or no questions because you're never going to get to the meat of what it is. The other part of it is sometimes kids have no conscious awareness of what the stressor is. And our job is to help connect them to that. And that's a process, you know, too, like, oh, um, I noticed when we go to parties where it's loud, you really want to leave quickly. And, you know, and then the little boy's like, yeah, I, I do, you know, and you had a really good time at Annie's birthday party and it was at her house. There were only three kids. And what was different about that? How did you get through that? And it felt good. And just trying to problem solve and make sense out of it. And and that can be really helpful because again, just like you said, their own worries in their own head and adults do this too, are way bigger than what the reality is. So help them the problem solve, help them to understand how they coped before is really helpful because when people get anxious, they don't see solutions and they don't recognize what, what they were successful at before. And those little bits of cueing can be helpful. Um, you also can do things like, well, the last time I went, you know, I sat with you for like five minutes until you got comfortable. And then I went and, you know, I left and that seemed to work. How do you, you know, how does that feel to you? 
And, you know, you have to be careful because there's a fine line between accommodating a really anxious kid. The more we, I don't want to say give into, but the more we um, allow us to be a life preserver. Yeah. Yeah. So we want to provide comfort and support with boundaries. Um, and that's why I like to say, like, how do you feel about five minutes? You know, um, my, my super easy younger kid was a, um, a kid that, um, like, like to know what things were and was very, um, closely attached, but didn't have separation issues. So when we would go to places, he really needed one of us to just sort of be there in the background. He was never a grab your leg kind of kid. He just needed to feel secure. And like, we would be like, okay, you know, give me the signal. And he'd be like, okay. And then he'd give us a signal and off he went. And he's just such a balanced kind of kid. Um, and it, and it worked for us right you know he's like he came out like a 57 year old and I'm, I'm not gonna lie so <laughs> but but again it was always honoring like he's a shy kid he's you know truly more of a shy kid which is surprising because his father and I aren't um but he just is a kid that needs to know and check things out and then he's like more than fine he's like just stellar when he's there. So I had to do that with him. I didn't enable him. I worked it out. I gave him boundaries and it really, really worked for us. He, he never was a kid. Like, you know, when you're working, when you're doing these kind of things, like, okay, so the example of my child, his outcome wasn't for him to have a meltdown. He, that's never what happened with him. If he was having meltdowns, I would have had to reevaluate what I was doing because I would have been accommodating him. I would have been enabling him. So we want to give our kids the tools and, you know, a comfort level, right? Um, it's sort of like we when I learned to swim, we use the baby seal method where babies swim, they jump, you know, seals jump right into the water, but the mom's right there and the baby seals can jump on their mom's back whenever they want. So you're there, there's a comfort, but like you're super independent. Like if you really want to swim, you can, right? Um, and so I think with kids, it's just that balance where a lot of times what I see is, you know, I work with a lot of people with OCD and with children and OCD can just ignite so fast after it always starts with anxiety. And so what happens is people give in to their accommodate. So one of the first places you'll start to see this is with repeated questioning, difficulty separating, and nighttime rituals. So kids will develop obsessive rituals and parents will participate them in order to get their kid to go to sleep. So a nighttime routine is a different story than a ritual. A ritual is if you don't do things in a certain way, your kid is going to have an emotional reaction. Mm, that's um, such a good and point it's to bring be, up. Yeah. And, and it's a, it's a lot, it's heavy. Right. Um, and I, please know I'm not a method. I don't believe in like ferberizing your kids and letting them scream their head off. I don't. Oh yes. The we don't accept any form of sleep training over here on the gentle counselor. So I'm glad that you say that. Yeah. Yeah. I totally think it's horrible. Right. But it's different when your kids are becoming independent and, you know, we all have like, I mean, it's one of my favorite 
memories of young, you know, being, you know, parenting a young child was the nighttime routine. Like, I love it. You know, the bath, the lavender and the snuggling and the reading the book. And then it's like, good night, you know. Um, But it's so easy where, you know, the kids like, I mean, these are stories I hear every day. Like, I have to be touching your hand. You know, um, I have to have this. I have to have that. Mm. And then if it doesn't happen, it's a high level of distress. You know, when you're a parent and you're exhausted and like nighttime is your time, (laughs) you just want to do whatever it's going to take to get them to sleep sometimes. And so it's, I know what you mean, what you're trying to say. It's so easy to fall into this without realizing what could actually be happening. Would it would could and you want to think about that just because you've got a kid who's making you do this, where else does this anxiety show up in their life, right? So if you've gotten yourself into a habit with your nighttime ritual and you don't feel like they're anxious anywhere else, they probably don't have anxiety. But often these kind of kids, oh, that anxiety shows up in some other way, like repeated questioning, needing reassurance. You know, is this the right thing, mommy? Is the color right? Can you check that? You know, they they start to do it. And, you know, a really startling statistic about mental health is that on average, it takes 11 years before the first sign of a mental health problem happens before somebody gets help. So I'm going to tell you that I think that's pretty true because a lot of times people will recognize it, but the kid is social Mm. or has good grades or is generally like a kind of a good kid, you know, like, you know, a good kid. And, you know, especially anxiety kids, these anxious kids, I mean, they can just be so lovely, but inside have so many worries, right? You know, Crystal, like you sit down with them and somehow they got into your door in a school and then it's like you just open up the floodgates and you find out all Mm -hmm. the worried thoughts they're having Mm. you know um you can be very functional with a struggle right whether it's you know anxiety or depression or whatever it is right they're very Um, good at wearing really well Mm. for sure for sure. So, you know, it is really about teaching kids and giving them those tools and reinforcement to manage the stress, but you have to teach them the ways too. You can't just say, figure it out. Right. And this is where resilience comes in because I just, I think the missing part is resilience. And so even with my daughter now, what I do sometimes with her is I'll be honest where it's age appropriate, of course, and situational appropriate about if something is going to be challenging or upsetting, you know, for example, like her getting her needles done. I think she had to have one at four years. And I was like, yeah, it's going to hurt a little bit. It'll pinch for about a second and then you'll feel fine and your body will heal itself. And so we, that's just one example I can give. And even back to like the swimming lesson example, it, and the book even included this was sometimes things are challenging, but the next time it gets a little bit easier. And then the next time you might even find it fun. And then the next time you're doing it and you don't even know what you were worried about anymore. And so that's where resilience is so important to give our kids a chance to go through that because the unfortunate reality is that life does suck sometimes (laughs) and our kids are going to experience challenges. Yes. Yeah. And we want them to be able to experience these challenges with our guidance now safely, and then we can coach them through it. 
and not be experiencing challenges for the first time when they go to college and be ill-equipped. You know, I can't even tell you how many, I mean, I, I, you know, as I told you, I have friends in all different kinds of countries and we, you know, Americans have a very high stress life. I mean, it is like as high stress as they probably portrayed in the movies and even more. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) and, you know, kids, so many kids I work with fall apart in college because they have no coping skills. Mm. Boy, were they good at school. But boy, they have zero idea on how to manage stress. And they just get to college and they literally hit a wall. Um, And that is never what we want. You know, we want to teach kids in so many ways um, and also take care of ourselves and role model how you manage stress. And if you manage stress badly in front of your kids, you need to be like, well, that was terrible what I just did. I really think people (laughs) forget about the power of role modeling. I I do talk about that a lot in so many areas of parenthood and role modeling is one of the easiest ways that we can demonstrate to our children and teach them without explicitly teaching them because it's so good for them to observe us doing it and of course we're like their safe person that they're looking up to anyway and they mimic us in so many ways right they become our little twins sometimes and that is going to give them that experience and that understanding of oh hey mom was stressed. I can see that she's doing this now and she's all better. Hmm. That's interesting. And they're going to translate into next time I'm feeling stressed, I might do something like that. And then I'm going to feel better. I mean, absolutely. And that's why, you know, we, you know, I always say also constantly that, you know, moms, we think self-care is a luxury. I'm here to tell you it's a necessity oh, because it gives us an opportunity. Dr. Roseanne, I'm just falling in love with care. you by the end of this part. Oh, thank you. <laughs> okay but you know we we have to take care of ourselves and we never prioritize ourselves Mm. because we're you know most of us are working moms and you know even if we're not we're you know I think working mom being a working mom is a lot easier than a stay-at-home mom and I agree I work part-time conversations (laughs) you actually get break time you actually go to the toilet in peace I know somebody isn't looking at you when you're in the toilet, you know? So, um, but when we take care of ourselves, we're better able to, you know, take care of others. And it just makes it where we're more, you know, rational and stuff like that and never beat yourself up. I mean, you know, when, when I lose my stuff, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just said that or whatever. You have to own it. Ultimately, in the end, mom's got to take care of themselves. Our kids are going to be so much better off for it. I Um, love that you're talking about this. Uh, I actually came up with a self-care advent calendar that I've put out on Instagram for us to do. And I have my membership, Gentle Motherhood, and we're all keeping each other accountable in there every day. So we've got our little countdown to Christmas doing that. And it's simple things. It doesn't have to be complicated. I think one of them is going to bed early. Another one is so important. Like asking for help. Another one is writing in your journal. Another one is uh, taking deep breaths and it's simple things, but that's the point. The point is that you want these to be things that you can do every day and even multiple times a day that don't take too long. Don't take too much effort. Don't cost any or you know, money really even. 
And it's so important for our sanity so that we're filling our own cups that we're able to take care of everyone else because it is such a demanding job that we have to do as parents. Yeah. And, and that's really so critical. We, you know, yes, I have been in the habit lately of taking a bath every night. Um, but you know, it doesn't have to be a half an hour. It's great if you can, you know, when your kids get a little older, it's easier to do things for yourself for sure. Um, but all you need is five or 10 minutes every day to kind of you know, power down a little bit, give your brain a break. You know, if you have to go sit in your car in the garage, go sit in your car, you know, because don't go to the bathroom because everybody's going to look there, you know, so (laughs) including the cat dot. It is so true. I can't believe you just said that. Um, Even my cats come and find me. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'm right here. My cats are like, I'm not in the bathroom. I'm upstairs. I've, I've reclaimed the playroom as my office. Oh, nice. And the cats are like hanging out in here and stuff. Yeah. So, um, yes, yes. I'm wrapping up all the little kid toys and doing all that beautiful <laughs> transition things. But yeah, you know, so don't ignore the signs of stress in your kids. I say this wherever I go. Nobody ever regrets getting help. They only regret when they don't. And, you know, reaching out to somebody who can coach you as a parent is such an investment. It's so great. Like, I can't even tell you because, you know, Crystal and I, we went to school to learn this stuff, but, you know, you didn't learn how to manage it. And sometimes our kids are quite a challenge. Mm. Like, they come out difficult, you know? And, and even typical kids are challenging at times, but you know, today we really do have quite an increase in children with, Mm. you know, mental health issues. We do, we just do. And, um, they require you, you know, to work with them and just constantly teach and constantly teach. And so knowing those shortcuts and the hacks, I like to call it to support your child is is an an amazing gift for you as a parent. Dr. Rosanne, I feel like I could talk to you all day. I have so enjoyed this conversation with you and I love how much we align. I've basically just been nodding the entire time through our conversation. And I'm sure that everyone (laughs) listening to this podcast episode has been enjoying your words of wisdom as well. So for those of them wanting to find you, can you please tell them where they can get more of your resources? Yeah. So, um, and this has been a great conversation too. I, you know, I love to talk to people who have the same kind of feelings about parenting because, you know, I mean, my work are what we're talking about is based on a lot of research and my work is based on a lot of experience too. And, you know, it's not easy being a parent you just got to be kind to yourself. But um, I have an awesome free freebie for anybody. It is over a hundred coping statements that you can use with a child of any age. You could even use them with your spouse if you want. Um, <laughs> and I have a lot of parents and therapists using them. And you can go to teltherapytoolkitbonus.com. That's teltherapytoolkitbonus.com. And just, you can get a free download. It's a great resource. I've been collecting them for over 10 years. Um, and you can find me at drrosanne.com. I have um, a book about reversing mental health coming out in late winter called It's Gonna Be Okay. Um, That's so exciting. You can just catch up with me there. Perfect. Thank you so much. And I'll have all of those links down below as well. Thank you so much again, Dr. Roseanne, for being a guest on the Gentle Counselor podcast today.
Truly my pleasure.